This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Disease Patient Advocacy Organization Global Genes and the Rare Disease Patient Data Sharing Platform RareX have agreed to merge, a move they say that will provide next generation rare disease advocates the tools and resources they need to accelerate their drive for treatments. Charlene Sun Rigby, CEO of RareX, will become CEO of the combined organization. We spoke to Sun Rigby about the merger the convergence of her personal and professional lives, and how the combination of the two organizations will provide next-generation rare disease advocates the tools and resources they need to accelerate their drive for treatments. Charlene, thanks for joining us. Nice to talk to you, Danny. We're going to talk about the combination of Global Genes and RareX, your role as the CEO of the combined organization, and what this will mean. Let's start with the headline. Global Genes and RareX announced that the two organizations are combining. What's happening? So the Global Genes and RareX boards came together a few months ago around this idea of a potential combination. And this was really driven by the opportunity to accelerate our ability to serve rare disease patients and advocates and thinking that by combining our resources and strength, we would be able to accelerate our mission. And so the, 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 after a lot of, you know, thinking about, you know, how we could really provide, you know, something very meaningful to the rare disease community, we came upon this this joint value proposition, which is to provide next generation patient advocates with a continuum of services to accelerate the path from initial support and awareness through drug development using a collaborative approach with data as a central core. And I I read that to you because I think that there's a lot of important components of it. And the looking at global genes in RareX the the two organizations are really naturally aligned to give this continuum of support and enablement that rare disease advocates need. And the the thing that has really been changing is that what we've been seeing is, is that rare disease advocates are not moving sequentially anymore where, you know, they're starting with advocacy and kind of moving through over to um, in collecting data and drug development, we're really seeing that they're really engaging, um, you know, in a dynamic way across that continuum of services. And so they might start on the research side and then move to community 
or I met an advocate who had, her son had just been diagnosed two weeks previous and a few weeks ago. And, you know, she's thinking about how do I build community and how do I start collecting data? You know, and so we really see that the combination of the organizations will enable us to serve advocates in a more holistic and dynamic way. Rarecast is a Global Genes product. I'm confident most of our listeners will be familiar with Global Genes and the work it does in rare disease patient advocacy and education. They may be less familiar with Rarex and its history. Can you explain what RareX is and how it came about, what its work is today? RareX has developed an open platform for collecting patient reported data on rare disease, and we're doing this across disorders. Importantly, beyond our technology, at our roots, we're a patient advocacy organization. And so our mission has been to enable rare disease patients to collect, structure, and share patient level data at scale. And the goal here is to dramatically accelerate our understanding of diseases and therapy development. So patient-owned data is an, a really important foundational element to this because you know, often patients aren't don't really have a seat at the table for research. And so enabling them to own their data and have control over how it's shared and used really gives them a real seat at the table. And at the same time, they don't have to become experts in data governance, research protocols, survey development, and all of the other aspects that are necessary components of data collection. And then one other key aspect is that we're very focused on breaking down data silos. So, you know, traditionally data has has been generated within individual research projects within individual organizations. And oftentimes it was challenging to share that data. Um, and it's just a disservice to rare disease patients. And so our goal is really to open up the data so that we can accelerate understanding and therapy development. And so from a from a where we are standpoint, the RareX platform launched in June of last year. And there are now over a thousand patients and over 45 disease communities collecting data on the platform. And since we're talking about global genes, I wanted to point out that RareX was born out of a critical need identified at global genes several years ago. And so this merger of the organizations is in some way a recognition of the complementarity of our work. Well, why now? What, what, makes this a decision for today as opposed to six months ago or a year from now? Yeah, this is really a, a, a key realization that we had during the discussions between our boards. And the what's happening today is that there's really a new generation of advocates. Advocacy has really evolved from 10 to 15 years ago. And what we see is that advocates are really involved in driving work across a spectrum of, of activities. And there are multiple drivers for this, including you know, diagnosis of rare conditions because of broader access to genetic sequencing. And also more advocates are really jumping in and you know, starting research, de-risking research, they're advancing therapies, excuse me, the therapies themselves are advancing 
including genetic therapies and N of one strategies that really enable therapy development for very small patient uh, patient groups. And so what we have really seen is that the landscape of advocacy has been changing very rapidly and that the combined organization will be able to serve this next generation advocate in a transformative way. What will the combined organization look like and what will be the range of things it does? The combined organization brings together a complementary set of programs and services from Global Genes and RareX. So we can really serve this continuum of needs from support to awareness and community building through to research and development and for this next generation patient and advocate. And I see a great opportunity for us to synergistically grow our programs with our combined and growing team. You've talked about the next generation advocate, Global Genes, talks about this combination, better enabling it to serve the next generation advocate. What is the next generation rare disease patient advocate? So I talked a little bit about next generation advocacy being propelled by multiple factors, and and maybe I can share a little bit more about that. So in the last few years, there have been early successes for rare disease in therapy development. This includes cystic fibrosis, SMA, you know, even newborn screening, which you know now is is you know utilized very broadly and is continuing to expand. We have examples with you know uh, PKU where changes in diet can dramatically change outcomes. And so this is really a transformative time in rare disease. And today's advocates have been become really motivated by these successes and thinking about how they can replicate them for their condition. Just because those successes exist does not mean that the road is easy. Um, there are some things that have changed. So technology is changing rapidly. As I had mentioned, these genetic technologies, which include antisensitive oligonucleotides or ASOs and N of one therapies. And then on the diagnostic side, access is improving because of changing standard of care and also that next generation sequencing is starting to be covered increasingly by insurance. And so we have growing numbers of patient, uh, patients that are being identified and therapy development is becoming more possible even for very small patient cohorts. But there's still a challenge with small patient numbers and limited interest from pharma, especially in rare, very rare conditions. So patients themselves are coming in to jumpstart and de-risk this research. And it can be funding mouse models, but it goes far beyond that. This could be collecting high quality data to characterize diseases, or it could be safety and talk studies for a therapy and development. And all of these um, contribute to increase the attractiveness of a condition or a therapy. People may know you from your work as RareX CEO or president and co-founder of the STXBP1 Foundation. In many ways, I think of you as the next generation rare disease patient advocate we talk about. How did you become part of the world of rare disease? So I got started through my work in genomics. I've spent my career developing and commercializing enterprise software applications, and that's mainly been in healthcare. 
my last company developed AI technology to integrate next generation sequencing data and phenotype to accelerate rare disease diagnostics. And ironically, I started at the company right after my second child, Juno, was born. She started missing milestones around four months old, and that started us on a diagnostic odyssey that lasted for three years. We finally got our answer through whole exome sequencing, and it turned out that she had an atypical presentation or an atypical phenotype for a rare neurodevelopmental disorder called SDXBP1. And I think what we're all starting to realize is that these this is the case for many rare diseases, that there's significant disease heterogeneity, meaning that patient symptoms can vary a lot within the same condition. And that's really contributing to diagnostic odysseys across rare disease. And so I entered the world of rare disease really through two paths. I've heard that the first place you turned to after your daughter was diagnosed was Global Genes. What happened? Yeah, my daughter was diagnosed in 2016. And so at the time, there were 200, about 200 patients who had been had been diagnosed with STXBP1 disorder, and there were no advocacy groups. You could really count the number of researchers on, you know, a few fingers, you know, one hand. And so we decided to start a foundation with five other families in 2017. Our focus was to increase awareness of this very rare disorder and also to accelerate therapies and uh, therapy development. And the first stop for us was Global Gene. So in September of 2017, after we had started the foundation, we went to the advocacy summit and I really looked at it like a boot camp or a university. And the my, one of my fellow board members attended with me and we came out with an action list that guided us in you know the the first activities that we held with the foundation and those included things like how do you fundraise how do you run a research meeting and you know many many more things um and in fact that was you know one of the you know places where we started really understanding about data collection you've had an unexpected convergence of your professional and personal lives. You've got a BA from Stanford in human biology and an MBA from the Haas School of Business. Before joining RareX, you served as chief business officer for Fabric Genomics, which provides AI-driven clinical insights for genomics. What do you bring to your new role from your personal and professional past? Even though rare disease isn't something I would want anyone to experience. When my daughter was diagnosed, I realized I had skills and experience I could leverage to help her and kids like her. And so maybe there are three things that I think I bring to the table. So first is organization building. I've been at very large organizations, including Oracle, and and, uh, helped to manage a number, the integration process for a number of mergers. And I also have been with a number of startups, especially in the early days, taking it from founding team and growing it. And so I have, I'm excited about the opportunity to, you know, build 
an organization in the nonprofit space. The second thing is technology. So you talked about fabric and our work there developing AI to accelerate rare disease diagnostics. And you know, my focus has been generally, how do you create scalable solutions you know, that really accelerate work insights and you know, the ability to, uh, to really you know, drive forward progress? And so that's, I think, a really additional needed component, definitely for RareX, but also in this combined organization, because technology really is a key infrastructure you know, um, across global genes as well. And then finally, a grounding in advocacy and patience. So, you know, thinking about this and thinking about my experience, you know, how, how hard was it to get advocacy efforts started in a rare disease? And, you know, I often think about this, about, you know, nothing ever goes fast enough. Um, and so how can we make it easier for advocates and accelerate impacts for patients? That is definitely something that is a guiding light for me. This seems to be an inflection point for Rarex. There's been a lot of activity recently. There have been a number of collaborations forged. A lot of patient communities are making use of the platform and some new efforts that are going to be announced before you and will push that forward. Without asking you to get ahead of the news, you did say publicly that the Rare exchange meeting that RareX will begin taking on genetic data in the fourth quarter. What's the significance of that? Genotype phenotype correlations are critical. And I know you are aware of this, Danny. RareX spearheaded work earlier this year to update the count of rare diseases in our Be Counted white paper. And so now we, the updated number that we have, that we published in the white paper is 10,867 rare diseases. And that number of rare diseases is growing by about 300 per year. And this is because we understand better the genetic etiology of diseases and can differentiate what was previously thought of as single disease. And now we recognize is actually multiple because of the genetics. So genomic data is a very important piece of information for research. So we're adding this into this, this information into the data collection program. And first step is that we're curating genomic reports. So we know the specific change or mutation that a patient has from their genetic testing. And we are also doing a pilot to sequence a cohort of patients with whole genome sequencing. And this broader, deeper data is critical and also very exciting for enabling research. We've seen technology transforming the rare disease space with genomic sequencing and artificial intelligence, not just becoming commonplace, but I'd argue democratizing science where small companies, individual researchers, citizen scientists, and patient organizations can leverage technology and, and resources like CROs to advance treatments in ways that were once unimaginable, but now within reach. What do you think patient advocacy will look like 10 years from now? We're in a very exciting time for rare disease, and we have a real potential to accelerate our ability to address many diseases. So we're not developing therapies incrementally 
for individual rare diseases. Platform approaches and you know, automated approaches are really critical for transformation and acceleration. And then at the same time, N of one approaches are for individual rare diseases or you know, actually for individuals. And so what I see from a technology perspective is that there's a convergence. So platform approaches are going to enable N of one and N of one will enable us to go from treating one patient to treating more. Danny, you were asking about, you know, what is patient advocacy going to look like 10 years from now? And I like the term you use democratizing because I see that patient advocates will be leading sophisticated therapy development efforts and that there will be a lot of providers who advocates can work with to assemble the pipeline they need. And so one example of this is Casey McPherson's recently formed Everlum that is a CRO that's very focused on supporting therapy development for very rare diseases. As you go forward, how do you see Global Gene's role evolving and how will you measure its success? I think it's pretty simple. It's all about impact for patients and advocates. And you know, those questions that that we were talking about a few minutes ago, you know, how can we make it easier for advocates and how can we accelerate impact? For patients. Charlene Sung Rigby, the newly named CEO of Global Genes. Charlene, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.